Tonight I'm going to read Jeremiah chapter 5, verse uh, 10 through 19, same, same scriptures I read uh, last Sunday. Jeremiah chapter 5, beginning in verse 10 through verse 19. Go ye up the, her walls and destroy, but make not a full end. Take away her battlements, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously against me, saith the Lord. They have belied the Lord and said, It is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword nor famine. And the prophets shall become wind, and the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done unto them. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord, of ho- God of hosts, Because ye speak this word, Behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people wood, and it shall devour them. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from far, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. It is a mighty nation, it is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandest what thou sayest. Their quiver is an open sepulcher, they are all mighty men. And they shall eat up thine harvest and thy bread, which thy sons and thy daughters should eat. They shall eat up thy flocks and thine herds. They shall eat up thy vines and thy fig trees. They shall impoverish thy fenced cities, wherein thou trustest with the sword. Nevertheless, in those days, saith the Lord, I will not make a full end with you. And it shall come to pass, when you shall say, Wherefore doeth the Lord our God all these things unto us? Then... Shalt thou answer them, Like as ye have forsaken me, and served strange gods in your land, so shall ye serve strangers in a land that is not yours. May God bless his word. Let's bow in prayer. Our God in heaven, thank you for uh, giving us uh, revelation. Thank you for these important things. Just for us to be able to step away from a context of a situation and see things objectively, uh, Lord, we look at what you're doing with the nation of, of Judah, and we see this, and um, we see how you work, we see your holiness, we see your desire for a relationship, and we're able to see it uh, removed from ourselves. And yet there are so many things uh, about the people of Israel, the people of Judah, so many things about their relationship with you and their tendency to wander that just hits home with us and has application for us. So help us to learn what Jeremiah was saying to these people and then, Lord, help it uh, to apply to our lives so that it might affect us, so that it might challenge us, so that we might have a closer walk with you, a consistent walk with you, so that we might understand how important it is that we um, are, are chastened, that we are disciplined, and when we are that you're growing us. Thank you, Lord, for not forsaking us. And uh, we ask your blessing tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And you may be seated. And uh, we looked last week, uh, the title again is God's, uh, or Foreign Servants. And uh, we begin in verse 10. I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 10. Because it's interesting. It just sounds like Jeremiah is continuing his ministry of prophecy. He's speaking for the Lord. And, you know, he's giving exhortations. He's saying, do this. You know, this is what's going to happen. And he just seems to, in in verse 10, 
He just keeps you know, doing it. Go ye up her walls and destroy. So he's given more commands. But here's the interesting thing. He's not talking to Judah anymore. Which is, you know, really, he's been talking to Judah. Really, God has been talking to Judah through Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is just preaching the things that God has said. All these visions or oracles about what God is going to do. All these word pictures and figures of, you know, analogies and illustrations to drive home the point. Uh, burning cauldrons, spilling things out. Uh, you know, an immoral woman and all these, you know, marriage and divorce and all that. I mean, he's using all these things to describe God's relationship with Israel. And, you know, it's like Jeremiah's gone, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, like they're, not, they're not listening. And they're God's people. They're God's covenant people that even give lip service to following Yahweh. But now... Jeremiah and God begins to speak to this unknown nation. It, we know it would end up being Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. But he ends up giving them an exhortation. They're a pagan nation, just like Assyria was. Why would God be giving instructions to them? Because God is the commander-in-chief of the whole world, and he uses everything for his purposes. Even a, a nation like Babylon and a king like Nebuchadnezzar that was in big need of humbling uh, and, and just you know gave no regard to, to Yahweh, to God, and yet God is going to talk to him? And there's something going on here. We, we see the sovereignty of God and it's, it's, you know, God is using, there's a verse in, the, in Proverbs that says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And it doesn't uh, qualify. He's not saying godly kings, you know, Israel's kings. And they weren't all godly either. But he was just saying kings. He was speaking of people in authority. And I believe that, that verse, by the way, can apply to because there's no kings today in, in America, but we can. that principle applies to our leaders. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So God, God is really in control of political leaders and national leaders and, and, and the leader of Babylon. And, and so this we see where... God is almost, it, 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 when I look at what's going on and I think about this, it's, it, it, you know, in a sense, this command is going to be obeyed. No problem. Because God uses the desires of people's hearts and he's able to, to maneuver them to do his bidding. And so it's not like Nebuchadnezzar's getting, it's not like Jeremiah goes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, Here's God's word for you, Nebuchadnezzar. Go up on her walls, that's a reference to Israel. Go up her vineyard walls, is the idea, and destroy. And then he begins to make clarifications. You know, prune the branches and stuff, and I'm going to give you some liberty to do that. Jeremiah never says that to, to, uh, to Babylon or to King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, then yet, why is he saying it? This is, this is God articulating 
primarily to Judah, that there is an entity out there that God is going to be giving the go-ahead for them. God's going to be opening up the, the parameters and, in a sense, giving Nebuchadnezzar what he wants. Nebuchadnezzar is, is totally self, you know, ambitious, self-serving, and he is just... He just wants to do what he wants to do and advance his kingdom. And to his mind, Judah is an enemy. Assyria is an enemy. In fact, remember, Israel already conquered in Assyria. And, and Babylon, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be conquering Assyria and, and bringing them in. Then he's going to focus on Judah. So in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, he's just plotting and you know, devising and, and planning his machinations and and he's not saying i wonder what god wants boy i hope there would be a prophet from israel that would come and tell me what god wants he's not asking that but god is pulling the strings and this prophecy right here is god it's basically god giving some parameters he's going to be letting nebuchadnezzar do what he wants within boundaries And I want you to realize there's an incredible lesson here that even our enemies, God is in charge and God will use people that don't want, that they don't have our best interest at heart. It doesn't matter. God will either let them or not let them do what he wants. And if it's chastening that we need, then God might just lift that barrier a little bit and allow someone to be a real irritation to you. And if you, if you think we're wrestling against flesh and blood, you're going to think that human being is your problem in life. And you can't look at it that way. Because God is orchestrating everything. And we have to see it that way. And so here, this, this command, look again at verse 10. Go ye up her walls. The, the trellises is, is the, the Hebrew idea. Go up her walls and destroy. Make not a full end. By the way, see that phrase there? Don't make a full end. In other words, I'm not letting you do it completely. And you're going to see that exact word at the the, uh, verse 19. So the the two sandwiches, you know, the verse, verse uh, 10 through 19, verse 10, and then actually might be verse 18. But right at the end, this same statement. Don't Don't make a complete end. In other words, I'm not letting you totally destroy them. It's interesting. God's in charge. So he says, make not a full end. Take away her battlements. That is um, the balcony or the upper part of the vines. And, and he's, um, take away her battlements for they're not the Lord's. He's basically saying, I want you to do some pruning in my vineyard. And Israel, in fact, in uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, about 100 years ago, uh, Isaiah used a prophecy. In fact, in Isaiah 5, 1 through 5, he talks about his beloved uh, touching his vineyard. He talks about his vineyard. And then in verse 5 of that, he says, And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up and broken down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. So, and that would happen to Israel using Assyria. But God is, so he's talking now, Israel or Judah in this case, now fast forward to Jeremiah. Judah is his vineyard. 
And now he's giving another enemy nation, unnamed at this time, and he's saying, I want you to go in and do some pruning. I want you to go in and destroy these, these, the, the, the shoots and the, some of the things. This needs a major pruning, and I'm going to use you to do it. And that's what he said. That's what he did through Isaiah. But it's interesting because verse 5, again, of Isaiah 5, I will, I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will take away the heads thereof. And that's what he's doing here in Jeremiah. He's taking away the hedge. And he's going to be saying to Nebuchadnezzar, come on in. And again, Nebuchadnezzar isn't like, God, what, what should I do? He's just, he's kind of a dummy. You know, just, he's just going by impulse. This is what he wants to do. And he's making his plots and all that. And he doesn't know, but he can only do what God allows him to do. And just like that, Assyria, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the heads thereof and shall be eaten up and broken down the wall thereof and it shall be trodden down. So now we're back to this vineyard illustration and God is saying the same thing. You know, it reminds me of the quote that I love from Spurgeon. And it has to do with God's sovereignty. And I want you to listen to this. This is such a good quote because it's what's happening here. Charles Spurgeon said, Man is perfectly free, and God violates not the human will. I believe that. That man is perfectly free, and God violates not the human will. Yet, Spurgeon says, He is as much able to rule perfectly free agents as He is to control the atoms of inert matter. I think this is one of the, it's such a balanced explanation of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. He goes on. It is omnipotence which compels yonder starry orbs to obey the laws which God has made and to travel in their appointed courses. But to my mind, Spurgeon says, it is even more marvelous omnipotence which leaves men free agents and controls not their wills, but yet sweetly triumphs over them. That's what he's going to do with Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he did with the king of Assyria about a hundred years before. Again, that last statement. Um, he, God leaves men free agents and controls not their will, but yet he sweetly triumphs over them. And verse 10 here is that big time that God is, is in control of Nebuchadnezzar. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he needs, some, he needs, a, he needs a foreign servant, some foreign servant, to come and accomplish his mission on his people of Judah. And he's going to use Nebuchadnezzar. What an amazing thing. I remember getting a job when I was just a young boy. And, and I'd forgotten about this. And all of a sudden, this, this, this past week, I remembered this guy. And I don't remember who he was or where it was. But he, he paid me to do his lawn work. And he had a really big yard. And it was one of those things where the yard, it wasn't like all grass where you just mow the grass and you get your money and. It, it had some grass where you cut it, and then there was other plots of, like, not grass, but partial grass, and some parts that needed to be trimmed, and um, other rocky parts. And he had to actually take me around his yard and say, all right, this part here, you, you know, you have, to, you have to mow this. And this part over here, you have to trim the weeds here. And then this part over here, you don't need to touch. You know, he's kind of doing that. And that's what God is doing here. Uh, in these instructions. He's just saying, okay, here's what I want you to do. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know it, but he's a pawn. He's going to be doing the bidding of God. God is using 
Nebuchadnezzar's evil intention, attempt, uh, uh, um, intentions, thank you, his evil intentions and his, his egotistical pride and, and desire for power. And, and he has no idea that, that God's the one that's going to use it for his purposes. Remember Joseph with his brothers? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's not just Joseph's brothers. That's anyone in authority or anyone that has power to do anything. That God is going to use these things, and and that's exactly what happened. I want you to take a few minutes with me and go back to Job. Because in my mind, what we're reading here in Jeremiah is exactly what was going on in Job. And Job did not know it. In Job chapter 1, there was a day uh, where... It talks about the angels, the sons of God, and Satan was among them. And he came before the Lord to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said, you know, where have you been? He said, I've been going to and fro throughout the whole earth. Which is, Peter talked about that. The the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may destroy. And and he's always been that way since his fall. And uh, he's just, he's looking for someone. He's looking for a victim. And God says, hey, I got someone for you. Uh, and he said to Satan in verse 8, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? Now this is not the perniciousness of God or the ill will of God. This is not that in any way God was, was mad at Job and like, I am going to get him back. This is God... On the other hand, looking at Job as such a man of of faith that he's going to grow him and he's going to test him. But there, you know, there was no desire. God, it wasn't that God had pleasure in any of Job's sufferings. He was going to be there for him, but he had ultimate purposes. Like the song Ron Hamilton wrote, God never moves without purpose or plan when molding a servant, trying a man. And that's true for us today or woman too. So the Lord says, have you considered uh, my servant Job? Verse 9, then Satan answered God and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? He's saying that, folks, because he's you know, probably very frustrated because he's already experienced God's thwarting power because God does have a hedge about people, because God does control And God will not let someone, even Satan, do something that God does not want him to do. Keep that in mind. You and I are going to, I think we're going to be amazed when we get to heaven. And when, you know, if this happens this way, where God will give us some insight and say, you know, say, go back to a particular time in in our life. And I'll say, you don't know the forces that were going against you that day. And he might just tell us a little bit. You would not believe what Satan wanted to do with you and his minions. He'll be able to say, you, you just can't believe it. I wouldn't let him do it. You know, because God has a hedge around us. And Satan knew that. And I think there's some resentment here. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But, Satan says, put forth now thine hand and touch all that he hath. And he will curse thee to thy face. Now he says, you put forth your hand. In other words, Satan knows that he, he can't do anything he wants unless 
God's hand is in it, and in a sense pulls back on some things. And that's what he's doing. He's basically saying, you just let me at him for a little bit. He had no power. Even Satan, you know how the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord? Even Satan has boundaries of what he can do, and God is omnipotent. Satan is not. Satan is powerful. He's not all-powerful. He's only little-powerful compared to God. Now, listen to this. This is amazing. Look at Job chapter 1 and verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Ooh. If Job only knew at this point, he probably would have screamed, No, God, no! You know, just like we would, I think. But do you, you understand what's happening? God is saying, yeah, I do, have a, I do have a hedge about him. But you know what? I'm going to let it back for a little bit. And you go ahead. All that he has is in your power. But notice this. All that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not thine hand. So God is giving him permission. Remember how Jeremiah said, but make not a full end or however that was worded. You know, there's always restrictions. Praise God for that. Please, you know, we magnify Job's sorrows and think nobody suffered like Job. Jesus did. But please understand that there were still restrictions on what Satan could and couldn't do. And there is in our lives too. Do not forget that. When you get overwhelmed and you feel like, I don't think I can take it. Realize that, no, God has not pulled the, the hedge back farther than, than you can handle. He's going to give you the grace and all. And if He's pulled the hedge back this much, He knows you can do it by His grace. So what happened? It says, so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And then here's what happened. Foreign, the foreign service got involved. Enemies of Job people that couldn't care less about Job, people that wanted to rob him of his possessions, kill his servants, and, and just destroy him and get wealthy off him. So who were the foreign servants in Job's life? Well, in Job chapter 1 and verse 15, the Sabaeans, those were people from South Arabia prior to the Islamic times. Uh, and, and so they came in and stole his oxes and his donkeys and killed his servants. They were foreign servants. Come to bring this chastening, uh, not punishment, chastening on Job. In Job chapter 1 and verse 16, fire fell down from heaven. In fact, look at verse um, Job chapter 1. Let me get there. I didn't even turn there. Job chapter 1. Is everybody in Job? Okay, thank you for turning there when I did not. Job chapter 1. Look at verse 16. And it says, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone. So, so uh, the fire, of, it's called the fire of God. That it was a, what we would call, you know, acts of nature. But we know who's behind it. God was giving Satan the go-ahead to do this. And these are all his servants, foreign servants. Not just kings, not just foreign nations like Babylon's or, or the Babylonians or the Sabaeans. God, all these things upon us. Then shalt thou answer them, like as ye have forsaken me and served strange gods in your land. 
so shall you serve strangers in a land that is not yours. They, this, that was a prophecy about the Babylonian captivity, which would happen. And it would be pretty long. But I want to remind you about the difference between uh, when it comes to afflictions. People tend to think of afflictions as only punishment. Afflictions are always punitive for punishing, but they are not. Sometimes afflictions are simply chastisements. And I, I want to read again this, this statement from a teacher that um, distinguishes between the two. Punishment has regard only to the past, to the breach of the moral law committed, and the retribution which has to follow it. Hell is a punishment. Um, you know, and, and God does punish. He punishes nations. Sodom and Gomorrah were punished. You know, and there, there was no... There was no chastening there. There was no, no trying to better them. What's going to happen to Judah is going to be different. So again, uh, punishment regards only to the past, to the breach of the moral law. Chastisement looks to the future. It aims at producing an effect in the mind of the person chastened, at benefiting him and raising him in the scale of moral being. So, afflictions can bury us, or ref afflictions can refine us. Afflictions can defeat us, or they can perfect us. And it will be our choice on what we do. As I wrap this up, I want to real quickly just go over a few verses. Um, as I think, I want you to realize just how in control God is when it comes to the people in your life. Listen to some of these verses. You don't need to turn there. Um, Proverbs 16 and verse 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. A man's heart deviseth. Think of, you know, he's, he's deciding, he's planning, he's making his plans. Men do that. But God's the one that directs. In other words, you're, you're under the guidance of God. You're, you're not, you might have plans, and you might want to do this, this, and this. And you're only going to do whatever God will allow you to do. And you, may, you probably don't even realize it. Here's another verse. Proverbs 19 and verse 21. There are many devices. Same word. Well, the idea of devices is when a person devises. It's their thoughts and their plans. So there are many devices in a man's heart. And that's true for us. We all have plans and thoughts. Nevertheless... The counsel, or that word could be purpose, the counsel or purpose of the Lord, that shall stand. Think about this. There are many devices in a man's heart. People are going to, you know, people may want to intend harm to you, and they may be conniving and doing things. We talked about this in our Bible study. But you know what? They're only going to be able to do what God allows them to do. Proverbs, or Psalm 33, verse 10 and 11. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts, intentions of his heart to all generation. There's an old Yiddish proverb. It says, man plans, God laughs. You know, and, and that's true. So what foreign service is going on in your life? Maybe it's a co-worker that's just really rubbing you the wrong way. 
and you've not even thought that maybe God brought that person in your life. Remember Dr. George Mundell, Maranatha Tabernacle in Darby, that statement that, I, that I'm trying to drill in our heads, mine included, he said, I must see every person and every circumstance that comes into my life as the Holy Spirit coming to me through that person and through that circumstance to make me more like Christ. That's true. And you and I need to see that. Remember, Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate said to him, because Pilate asked him a question. In fact, it says in John 19.10, Then said Pilate unto Jesus, Speakest thou not unto me? Jesus didn't answer him. Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and I have power to release thee? Now in his mind, he was given that authority as far as humanly. But do you remember what Jesus said? Finally, he answered when he wanted to. He said, thou couldest have had no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. That's pretty amazing. Even Pilate, he said, God, Jesus wasn't afraid. In fact, he was like he was laughing. You don't have power over me. The only thing you can do is what God allows you to do. Now, maybe Pilate thought of that later on and thought, huh, he didn't think I had power over him and I crucified him. Guess what? That didn't, that didn't stick. You know, Just realize, folks, whatever's going on in your life, whatever, things that are coming against you, whether it be people, whether it be circumstances, all those things, remember, those are just foreign agents that God is allowing limited wise he's allowing them only what's necessary peter uses that idea only what's necessary to grow us god loves us he wants to mold us so let's understand let's look at foreign service you know you don't like the president he's president god gave us you know just think of all the different things that we're not happy with that but understand all right you know what for now this is who god is using and he's trying to teach us something through it. So let's learn the lesson. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us in our lives to take what is so clear in your word and to translate that to what's going on in our lives. That uh, Whether it's simple irritations on a daily basis or whether it is just outright opposition, uh, just, just people that are just being nasty, Father, whatever it is, um, Lord, you, you, you would not let them do that unless you were using it for your purposes. And so help us. Help us to trust you. Help us to give these things over to you. Not to fret. Because you're in charge. And uh, Father, those things, help us to learn. Those, those afflictions, help us to grow from them. Thank you, Lord. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your hymn books out. Let's all stand and we will close in song.